Hello, and welcome to the PC Speaking Podcast. Uh, if this is your first time tuning in, welcome. If you're a return listener, I'm, I'm glad you're back. We've been going through a series of different disciplines for several weeks now. I've been reading the book, Disciplines of a Godly Man by R. Kent Hughes, which I recommend, and drawing some material from that book. Um, it's definitely been a big help in putting this series together. But today we're talking about the discipline of integrity. And I'm going to preface this with the admission that this is kind of a soft spot for me. Um, you've probably heard uh, people talk about triggers. Well, integrity is one for me, both uh, in the way I practice it and the way I've seen others practice it. I've had a lot of negative experiences in regards to integrity, unfortunately. And I'm sure I'm not alone in that. Probably most people have. Um Topics like this are always challenging for me because I don't want to come off as a hypocrite when I talk about it. Um, integrity is telling the truth and acting morally, basically. I try very hard to tell the truth and act morally, and it bothers me very much if I don't. In, in our culture, integrity is unfortunately, I suppose it's become a bit of a rare commodity. It doesn't matter if it's in business, the news, um, we hear about fake news and these things all the time, and we don't know who we can trust and who we can't. Our everyday interactions with people, um, we're often skeptical in those. Even in church, uh, we need to work on our integrity, maybe especially in church. And integrity is a discipline. It's not something that we naturally do. It's not something we naturally want to do. We must discipline ourselves to practice integrity. And I think there are two reasons that we may not act with integrity. One is that um, someone who doesn't act with integrity may not even really know what it means or what it is. They may not have a yardstick to even measure that by. But I think another reason we tend to act without integrity is because in the middle of a difficult situation, it seems like that if I lie or act immorally, I will get myself out of a difficult situation. I can evade the problem I'm facing if I tell a lie. And in a very destructive and, and deceptive way, that is a half-truth. Because when you lie or act immorally, it often does allow you to escape a difficult situation or benefit you in some way. And you can uh, avoid difficulties without suffering immediate consequences or having to be accountable or confront whatever it is you need to confront. But a half-truth is a whole lie. And even though you may escape the initial, initial discomfort of dealing with a problem or difficult situation by telling a lie, the problem is still there and the situation remains. And the problem with problems is if they're not addressed they do tend to grow and get bigger and get worse. And it may not feel like it initially, but the easiest fix for most problems is really just approaching them with integrity. Tell the truth, act morally, even when it's difficult. And it may be difficult initially, but long-term, it's easier than dealing with a bigger problem later because every time we lie, act immorally, it just makes a bigger problem later. And if we all practiced integrity, or at least as best we're able to do so, the world would be a different place. It really would. And this is one of those disciplines where it would be easy to pick on secular society. 
So we're not going to talk about secular culture. We're going to talk about Christians and Christian culture. And when I became a Christian, I was in my early 30s, so I was a pretty young guy. And I went from no contact with Christians to being completely immersed in Christian culture. I went from being lost and completely unchurched to being in seminary uh, in about eight months' time. So things moved along fairly quickly for me. Um, so I saw the big you know, differences in culture. And I was very surprised by Christian culture. But it wasn't by how honest Christians were that surprised me. It was the lack of integrity that I was surprised by. Um, we've had you know, more of a focus on men through this series. And according to different studies, integrity tends to be much lower among men. If someone's going to steal from the workplace, um, six times out of seven, it's going to be a man. And that, you know, that doesn't let ladies off the hook, but you understand what I'm getting at. Most men in the workplace believe that political maneuvering is the way to success, not actually working hard or being good at your job. And well, maybe that also is kind of a half truth. And, but in general, women tend to behave more ethically than men do. And to bring that home, you know, by far in my time in ministry, my biggest frustration has been a lack of integrity among men calling themselves Christian. Not all of them, mind you. There's, there's a lot of great men who are Christians, but a much larger percentage than should be have a lack of integrity. And that is something that needs to be addressed among all Christians, but especially among Christian men. I had a conversation with a pastor recently, and he attended a church. I think this, this was a while before he became a pastor, but he attended a church where the pastor had committed adultery with two different women in the congregation. Um, I know another pastor who took over a pastorate, and the church was in a difficult place because they had to remove the previous pastor, which is a very difficult thing for a church to do. Um, but the reason they had to remove this pastor was because he was filming adult films in the church basement. And I could probably go on for quite a while just about men in ministry and a lack of integrity. And that's unfortunate. And that doesn't even take into account the you know everyday church attendee. But of course, there are, there are some positive examples of integrity in ministry as well. And Billy Graham is a great one. He, he wouldn't ride in a car or have a meal alone with any woman except his wife, um, which some people might see that as a little strange, but he was very big on integrity and protecting his ministry. That was something that was known as, or part of the, what they called the Modesto Manifesto. Um, they did a little talk among the ministry, I guess it was, and they um, were thinking about, you know, what is it that has caused other ministries to crumble? You know, what kind of moral failures happen that destroy ministries? And these are the things that they came up with. They, you know, there are a few rules that they came up with that they practice uh, that involved depending on funds that had already been raised, not the funds raised at the actual meetings of the Crusades. Um, because in a big event like that, you can take up an offering and collect a lot of money. And you know he would have been uh, a lot more wealthy than he was if he had paid himself that way. But what they decided to do was pay everyone a flat wage rather than living off of offerings. 
And they also decided they were going to work in conjunction with local churches instead of apart from them. And they also decided they would provide honest reporting of attendance and how many people made decisions for Jesus. And I've seen people calling themselves missionaries and working in some place like India, for instance, who would gather a big crowd by offering food. And then they ask people if they want food. And then when everyone raises their hand, they take a picture of that and send the picture to the supporters saying, hey, look at all these people who made decisions for Jesus, which is an outright lie. It deceives a lot of people, but it keeps the money coming in. And sometimes people might think that those, you know, those rules to, you know, hold people accountable for integrity, like in Billy Graham's ministry, they might think he's a little bit ridiculous for doing the things he did, especially in regards to not riding in a car alone or having a meal with anyone besides his wife, even if it's, you know, going to a venue or riding from an airport. And, but I, you know, I'm sure he wasn't perfect, but when you think about it, you remember all of the moral scandals that Billy Graham was involved in or the lies that he got caught telling. Uh, Yeah, I don't either because we don't know of any. I mean, I suppose it's possible, but there isn't any that I know of. And that ministry was blessed and it continued and it it grew because the people involved practiced integrity. Here in Australia, the record attendance for the Melbourne Cricket Ground was in March of 1959 at a Billy Graham crusade. Uh, A couple months later, the Sydney Cricket Ground also broke its attendance record during a Billy Graham crusade. And that 1959 crusade um, changed the religious landscape of Australia. 10% of the population attended at least one of the events that were put on at that time. And the impact of that ministry over time isn't really something that we can measure. But a lack of integrity certainly would have impacted that ministry and done it a lot of harm. And we can learn from that. Without integrity, you know, we don't have much of anything. Integrity, it requires two basic ingredients, honesty and strong moral principles. And those are both a struggle for Christians in the world today. And they always have been. It's not like it's new. But how often do we hear terms today like fake news? You know, we are, we're unsure of who we can trust in reporting, we, you know, there's charlatans in ministry. There's moral scandals uh, involving religious leaders. There's people preaching a, a false prosperity gospel, which is just absolute trash. And again, that doesn't even take into account the everyday life of the average Christian. But to practice integrity, the first thing we have to recognize is that we're capable of a lack of it. I would even go so far as to say that not only are we capable of a lack of integrity, but without discipline, a lack of integrity is our default setting. That's where we go. We're fundamentally dishonest and immoral. As a matter of fact, we are capable of deceiving ourselves to the point that we don't even know or acknowledge the reality of truth and moral principles. Many Christians lack integrity but don't acknowledge it. And they'll say, I believe the Bible, but with the same mouth, they lie and they deceive and practice immorality. Honesty and moral principles are not complicated. 
you know, we serve a God of integrity who expects us to practice integrity. And in Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, we read about Ananias and Sapphira. And in this passage, we see a lack of integrity and then God's reaction to that. This is what the Bible says, Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. It says, Now a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. He kept back part of the proceeds with his wife's knowledge and brought a part of it and placed it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to deceive the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, was it not your own? And when it was sold, was it not under your authority? Why have you conceived this deed in your heart? You did not lie to men, but to God. On hearing these words, Ananias fell down and died. And great fear came on all those who heard these things. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for this amount. She said, yes, for that much. Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. At once she fell down at his feet and died. Upon entering, the young men found her dead and carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear came on the entire church on all those who heard these things. Now, what we see in this passage is a lack of integrity. Ananias and Sapphira, they had sold a piece of property. They gave part of the proceeds to the church, which, you know, that's great, right? They're being generous. They're supporting their church, which Christians should do. They didn't give all the money from the sale to the church. They only gave part of it, which is also fine. The problem was that they lied about it. They said that they had given all of it to the church. They displayed a lack of integrity so they could make themselves look good to the church and the apostles. And they leveraged a lie to promote themselves. And both Ananias and his wife dropped dead. And that might seem like overkill for lying about how much they gave. It seems like uh, pretty harsh um, for what they did. At least they gave some of the money, right? And it must have been a fair bit to be able to say, this is what we sold it for and, and seem realistic. So why such a harsh consequence? Why would they just drop dead over only giving part of the proceeds from the sale of this property? Well, there are a couple of things we can learn from that. One is that God takes integrity very seriously. We serve a God of integrity. Integrity matters. Just as importantly is the fact that a church can't prosper or function spiritually or materially when the members don't act with integrity. That's why Ananias and Sapphira dropped dead. God wants to make very clear to us that a lack of integrity equals death. It could be death of ministry. There's all kinds of things that a lack of integrity will damage. And this particular example is one that involves financial integrity, but it's far from limited to finance. Uh, It also involves biblical integrity. When Christians personally or as a church don't practice biblical integrity, what do we become? I I don't know, maybe a social club? Uh, If the church becomes more concerned with social and political issues than we do the gospel, we're not practicing biblical integrity. When climate change and vaccines take precedence over biblical integrity, regardless of which side of the issue someone falls on, we've lost our way. But to practice biblical integrity, we can't 
cave to things that we know don't align with biblical teaching. And then say we believe the Bible and follow Jesus because that would be a lie. It's easier to compromise morality and biblical truth than it is to practice integrity. It's easier to do that. It's always easier to do that in the short term, but the damage over the long term is a terrible thing. And it's it's unusual once a Christian or a church or even an entire denomination heads down that path to get back on track. It can happen. And the sooner it happens, the easier it will be, but it's it's unlikely. What we need in particular are men who exercise freedom in Christ to be free from immorality, free from lying, and freedom from hypocrisy. You know, no one wants that stuff. No one wants immorality or lying or hypocrisy. No one wants deception. Everyone knows it's wrong. Everyone sees and feels the destruction of that. The world wants people who act with integrity, and Christians can be that people. You know, we, we've got the yardstick to measure what integrity is. And if we don't have integrity, what reason would people have to believe anything we tell them about Jesus or anything we have to tell them about the gospel or how to live or anything else for that matter? And we can't practice integrity complaining about the sins of the world while at the same time ignoring our own. And this is a bad habit that Christians tend to have. First Corinthians chapter 6 says, Do not be deceived, neither sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Then Galatians chapter 5 also says, Now the works of the flesh are revealed, which are these, adultery, sexual immorality, impurity, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, rage, selfishness, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, carousing, and the like. I warn you, as I previously warned you, that those who do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But those are pretty pretty extensive lists of sin there. And the reality is, is that we often like to look at those lists and we pick a couple of things and we kind of tend to zero in on those. Uh, but they're never the ones that we we find in ourselves. And the reality is, is that we can all find ourselves somewhere in that list. So let's work on our integrity. And we need to do so if we want our church to prosper. Wherever you attend church, if you want your church to prosper, you need to practice integrity. If we want to reach our local community with the gospel, we need to practice integrity. Now, practicing integrity doesn't require us to be perfect, but it does require us to at least be honest about the fact that we're not. And you can know a lot about the Bible. You really can. But avoiding a lie or avoiding an immoral act or not acting immorally or admitting when we've done something wrong is often the best confession of faith that we can show someone. Um, those kinds of things are a better confession of faith than a library full of books on theology. Tell the truth. That's one of the best things you can do. Act morally. That's one of the best things you can do. If you look up integrity in the dictionary, part of the definition is it says the state of being whole or the condition of being unified or sound in construction. And the definition of biblical integrity is similar. It means being complete, being whole. Sometimes being complete is translated as perfect. 
And it doesn't mean without fault, but it means being complete. And a man who lacks integrity is just not a whole man. Integrity or the lack of it define your character. Psalm 15 describes what a, what a whole man looks like, what a complete man looks like. This is what it says. It says, Lord, who will abide in your tabernacle? Who will dwell in your holy hill? He who walks uprightly and does righteousness and speaks truth in his heart. He who does not slander with the tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor bears a reproach against his friend. In whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. He who swears to avoid evil and does not change. He who does not put his money out to usury, nor take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things will never be moved. Integrity produces character. Nothing short of God's divine intervention in your life will shape your path in life quite like your character. And your integrity builds your character. And another great benefit of integrity is a clear conscience. You know, when you live with integrity, you don't have anything to hide or cover up. And you don't have to remember what you said when you tell the truth. You just tell the truth. And there's a lot of peace that comes with integrity. You avoid a lot of guilt when you practice integrity. Integrity makes your relationships better. It makes your relationships with God better. It makes your relationships with your family and friends better. And people are more comfortable with you when they feel like they can trust you. If they know you are someone who uh, practices integrity, they're going to be more comfortable with you. So how do we practice the discipline of integrity? Discipline now. I was having a conversation with someone the other day about boundaries, interestingly. Um, And maybe you've read Calvin and Hobbes. That was a, a popular book with myself and my kids when they were young. We used to read Calvin and Hobbes. But Calvin and Hobbes, um, they play a game called Calvin and Ball. It's just a cartoon, you know, about a, a kid who has a toy stuffed tiger and, um, you know, all of this, most everything in the book happens in his imagination. But the thing about Calvin Ball is they make up the rules as they go. Whatever they're playing, they just make up the rules as they go and whatever happens, happens. And, you know, you just, I guess you win the game by making up rules faster than the other person. But the problem is, is that integrity isn't like Calvin Ball. You can't just make it up as you go. We don't have the ability to determine our own moral boundaries, at least not that are consistent in any way. There's just too many opinions. We need a higher standard um, or a common yardstick to measure, you know, what morality is um, and determine what integrity is. When you ask someone, do you think God should let you into heaven? Or are you a good person? They'll probably say, yeah, 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 I am. And when you ask why, chances are, most of the answers I've heard are they'll probably say something along the lines of, well, it's not like I ever murdered anyone. And, you know, frankly, that's a pretty loose boundary. There's a lot that can happen between here and murder. Um, Not, you know, integrity requires more than not murder. Integrity is made up of the boundaries we set in life that determine the places we will and won't go, the things we will and won't do. Um, You know, Eden, way back in the book of Genesis, Eden was a walled garden. Uh, The land that was divided amongst the tribes of Israel in the Old Testament had well-defined boundaries. The temple 
had walls around it. It had boundaries in place for different areas. The city of heaven, you know, is a walled city. You know, when you think about why would there be walls in heaven? But God sets boundaries. God is a God of boundaries. And to practice integrity, we rely on the boundaries that are determined by God's word. Because we just don't do a good job of that ourselves. God's word calls us to tell the truth and practice strong morality and defines what that means. And it also calls us to admit when we fall short or transgress those boundaries. And as we go through life day to day, most of what we do, we simply do out of habit. There's a lot of things that are just kind of mindless tasks, the way we act, the things we say, the things we do that are just habits. And today's discipline or lack of discipline becomes tomorrow's habit. And if you discipline yourself to tell the truth, telling the truth becomes a habit. But that starts with small things. You know, the little things matter a lot, telling the truth in small things. And we all know about the biblical principle of reaping and sowing. We know that, you know, a small seed grows into something big. Jesus talks about the leaven of the Pharisees, you know, a little leaven leavens the whole loaf. And there's a principle we see there, you know, a little bit goes a long way. Um, And Ralph Waldo Emerson said, you know, you sow a thought and you reap an action, sow an act and you reap a habit, sow a habit and you reap a character, sow a character and you reap a destiny. And that's made up of the little day-to-day decisions that we make. And think about what have you been sowing? What seed are you going to sow? You know, what seed are you going to sow the rest of the day? What are you going to do tomorrow? Because make no mistake, you are sowing and there's going to come a time when you are going to reap the harvest of what you've sown. You're you know, the decisions you make today are forming tomorrow's habits. And you need to decide what those decisions are going to be. You need to decide what seed you're going to sow today because you will eventually reap that harvest, whether it's tomorrow or the next day, next week, next year, 10 years from now. It matters. The little things you do today, whether or not you decide to tell the truth or act morally, matter. So I want to encourage you, tell the truth, act morally. Think about how can I do better? How can I do more of that? How can I better represent God to the world around me? How can I better learn what his word says and act morally and tell the truth? Well, thanks again for tuning in today. That's all I've got for now. And I certainly appreciate you taking the time to listen in. And of course, if you think this might be helpful for someone, please share it with them. And I look forward to talking to you again soon.